We're continuing our Bible study on Colossians called Established in Grace. And this is teaching number 19 called Don't Give Power to the Law Pushers. Um, Wherever Paul went, whatever city he was in, whatever church he started, the law pushers would either beat him to the city he was going to, or they would come to the city he was in, or they would go to the city that he just left. And their whole goal was to push grace out of the churches and to push law into the churches. And the only power law pushers have is the power that we give them. If we don't give them power over us, then they have no power over us. And that's what Paul's writing about in Colossians 2, 16 and 17, which says this. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you. That means to give power and control to over you. We have no control over their judging us, but we have complete power and control over if we give them power over us. So don't let anyone judge you. Paul said the same thing in Galatians chapter 1. Don't let anyone put you under the yoke of slavery. Don't give people that power and control over your relationship with God. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you, but what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. It's all a part of the Jewish law. They were trying to push the law upon the grace believers. Verse 17 of Colossians 2 says, These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. We're going to explore that verse more next week. Today, we're going to look more about, therefore, do not let anyone judge you. So in order to understand this first part of this verse, therefore, do not let anyone judge you, we want to look at the historical setting, and we want to look at the biblical setting. Because what Paul says here in verse 16, he says, therefore, don't let anyone judge you. So what he's saying is, in light of what I just wrote, don't let anyone judge you. So we need to go back into the preceding verses to determine, well, what has he just written, which becomes the foundation for us not to give anyone power and control over our relationship with God. So there's two things we want to do. We want to look at the historical setting first, the biblical setting second. Now, there was pressure being put on the Colossian believers to convert to the law of Moses through circumcision and to follow its commandments. We'll see that in the, in the verses just a moment. This was widespread in the churches that Paul started. Uh, you can look in Acts 15 to see the debate, is circumcision necessary? Romans 4, Paul teaches on it. Galatians, almost the entire book is about that one issue. Philippians 3, Paul writes about it as well. That's not a big issue for us, but there is a principle that we can draw from it that becomes a major issue for us. Now, the commandments of the law back during this first century church that Paul's writing to in Colossae, that the law pushers were trying to push on the people, the commandments of the law included following the daily dietary laws, the weekly practice of the Sabbath, the monthly new moon celebration, and the yearly religious festivals. So they were operating according to a calendar, that your relationship with God is based upon what you do daily, it's based upon what you do weekly, it's based upon what you do monthly, and it's based upon what you do yearly. Notice what's missing here. 
the cross of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is going to point people to. He's going to point people away from the law of Moses and point people to the cross of Jesus. Now, the Colossian believers were being taught that to be right with God, to be in a right relationship with God, to be in a right standing before God, then they had not only to be circumcised, but they had to practice the requirements of the law daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly. Circumcision was just the front door into the law of Moses. And once you walked into the front door of the law of Moses through circumcision, then the people were obligated to obey the entire law. That's really the point Paul makes in Galatians, trying to move people away from the law of Moses and to the cross of Jesus, away from law and to grace. And you guys know not much has changed since the first century. Believers are taught that to be in a right relationship with God, to be in a right standing before God, to feel good about their relationship with God, they must abide by the daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly practices of the group, of the church, of the organization, of the denomination, of the pastor, whoever it may be and wherever they are. They're taught in order to be in right relationship with God, you need to follow this daily, weekly, monthly, or yearly. Now, when the people follow this daily expectation, this weekly expectation, this monthly expectation, this yearly expectation, when they do these, they feel good about their relationship with God, and they feel good about their standing before God. But when they fail to do this thing daily or weekly or monthly or yearly, whatever it may be, then they feel bad about their relationship with God and they don't feel right about their relationship with God. They don't feel good until they do that daily thing, that weekly thing, that monthly thing, that yearly thing. Then, oh, now, now I feel good about my relationship with God. So their relationship with God and their standing with God is not based upon the cross of Jesus. It's not based upon grace. It's based upon this daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly expectation that they feel they have to fulfill. Now, in, in these type of environments and these ministries and these churches, there's always something more to do. There is greater devotion. There's greater commitment. There are practices to follow, disciplines to follow, plans to follow. There are experiences to have and expectations to meet. Now, many believers believe that if they do not meet the expectations, then they're not measuring up. And since they're not measuring up to the expectations, then they don't feel right about their relationship with God and their standing before God. So now their relationship with God, their, how they feel about their relationship with God, their standing before God is based upon, am I measuring up to the expectations? When I fulfill the expectations, I feel good about my relationship with God. When I fail to fulfill the expectation, I don't feel so good about my relationship with God. Also, many believers believe that if they do not have the experiences that the ministry or the church or the organization or the pastor or the the mentor is saying you you need to have this experience, if they're not having those experiences, then they feel they're missing out on something that they need in order to have a vital relationship with God. In some churches, it's speaking in tongues. Well, boy, if you really want to have a dynamic, vital relationship with God, you need to speak in tongues. And the pastor tries to lead everybody in the church service to speaking in tongues. Hey, hold out your hands, open yourself up, 
and you're going to be filled with the Spirit, and you're going to speak in tongues, and then you can really, really then have a vibrant relationship with God. And that is just so far from biblical truth. Very few people had the gift of tongues back during the time of Paul, and he certainly didn't put expectations on people to have the gift. He actually coached people, hey, that's not the gift you need to pursue. So any experience people are trying to put you under, you got to have this experience. It's no Jesus experienced the cross for us. Jesus went to the cross for us. Our relationship with God is based upon what Jesus did for us at the cross. His experience at the cross is what brings us into vital relationship or or is vital to a relationship with God, what Jesus did for us. So in these spiritual environments of expectations and experiences, if you'll notice, and I know you've noticed, Believers are taught very little about what Jesus did on the cross. They're taught very little about the blood of Jesus. They're taught very little about complete forgiveness and righteousness in Christ. They're taught very little about being alive in Christ, and they're taught very little about Christ in you. Now, there are some ministries that there's heavy teaching on what Jesus did on the cross. There's heavy teaching on the blood of Christ. There's heavy teaching on complete forgiveness and righteousness in Christ. There's heavy teaching on being raised with Christ and being made alive with Christ. And there's heavy teaching on Christ in you. But in addition to that heavy teaching, these grace teachers also bring tongues into the teaching. They typically come out of the Word of Faith movement, Pentecostalism. There's a heavy emphasis on grace but also there's equally a heavy emphasis on tongues and you can walk in divine health and receive divine wealth. And, and, and when people aren't having these experiences, they really begin to feel, boy, something's just wrong. I'm not resting enough in Christ. I need to rest more in Christ. I'm trying too hard. And it really can affect people spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and, and, and ultimately their relationship with God because they think, well, something's just wrong with me. Now, if people are taught these truths, many times they're mixed with the practices, the disciplines, the plans, the expectations, or the experiences they need to have in addition to the truths about who Christ is and what Christ has done. Typically, it's a combination of Jesus and something. Jesus and speaking in tongues, Jesus and daily Bible reading, Jesus in quiet times, Jesus and daily confession of sins, Jesus in witnessing, Jesus and attendance, Jesus and the observation of the group's religious calendar, Jesus and, you know, fill in the blank. You guys could come up with many things that are added to the gospel in order to be in a right relationship with God, to feel good about your relationship with God in addition to what Christ has done. So the combination of Jesus plus something was one of the major problems Paul was writing to address in Colossians. They were being pressured to abandon the new covenant of grace and to return to or mix the new covenant of grace with the old covenant of law. It's exactly what was happening in Galatia. They were deserting grace and they were going back to the law. Even Peter deserted grace and went back to the law. That's how much pressure was being uh, placed upon believers that even one of the disciples of Christ went back to the law after he had discovered grace. And these law pushers were out there pushing people away from grace and back to the law. They still exist today. So that's the historical context of Colossians 2, 16 through 17. Uh, Let's look now at the biblical context. Remember, Colossians 2, 16 through 17 says, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you 
push you back to the law of Moses in its biblical context, but push us into any system or any structure or any experience or any expectation. Don't let anyone, don't give people that power over you. So let's look at the biblical context of Colossians 2, 16 through 17. What are the preceding verses that enable Paul to say to the Colossian believers, do not let anyone judge you. Therefore, do not let anyone have power over you. Do not let anyone control you. Do not let anyone rule over you. What's these preceding verses? Let's back up to Colossians 2.10, which reads, and you have been made complete in Christ. So what Paul is communicating to the Colossian people is that you don't need to meet the expectations of those who want to rule over you. You don't need to have the experiences of those who want to rule over you. You are complete in Christ. You are complete in what Jesus did for you at the cross. Remember, when Jesus hung on the cross, it is finished. That's the idea here. It's finished. You are complete in Christ. You don't need to meet the expectations. You don't need to have the experiences. What Christ did for you is enough. And we sing about it, right, churches? Your grace is enough. Your grace is enough. And then after the people sing that song, it's like the the leaders of the church or the ministry get up and say, well, yeah, we just sang that song, but here's what you still need to do in order to really fully have that vital relationship with God. All right, so we're looking at the context of Colossians 2, 16 through 17 to determine why the people shouldn't let anyone rule over them, all right, in in the context of a spiritual leader wanting to rule over the people. So Colossians 2, 11 through 14 says this. He's talking about what does it mean to be complete in Christ? How are we complete in Christ? says, well, in Christ, in Jesus, you also were circumcised. There was a lot of pressure, again, being put on the Colossian people to be physically circumcised in order to enter into the law of Moses so they could really, really have a vital relationship with God. But Paul is saying, no, in Christ you were also circumcised, and then he follows up and explains what he means, not, however, with a circumcision performed by human hands. So he's talking about a spiritual circumcision, and he's going to explain what that is, and we're going to talk about what that is momentarily. So you're complete in Christ because in Christ you were circumcised, not, however, with circumcision performed by human hands, but with the removal of the body of flesh. That is through the circumcision done by Christ internally. And he explains what this circumcision is. All right, what is this circumcision? We're going to look at, look at it uh, momentarily, but he explains what is the circumcision of Christ. It's a metaphor. It's not a literal circumcision. There's a spiritual circumcision, a metaphor of what Christ has done for us. And he explains what this is. Having been buried with Christ, you're complete in Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, you have also been raised with him through faith in the power of God who raised Christ from the dead. Even though you were dead in your transgressions and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God nevertheless made you alive with Christ, having forgiven all your transgressions or all your sins. Verse 14 Jesus has destroyed what was against us, a certificate of indebtedness expressed in decrees opposed to us. He has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. All right, we'll look at verse 15 momentarily. 
But I want us to take a look at what is the circumcision of Christ, because this pressure is being put on the Colossian believers to be physically circumcised and to begin to follow the law of Moses, which, again, if you want to read about the heated debate during this time, go to Acts 15, sheds light on it. Paul writes about it in Romans 4. Paul writes the entire book of Galatians about it. He mentions it in Philippians chapter 3. He's always, this is one of the issues he's always having to deal with by the law pushers. But what does it mean, in him you were circumcised? Circumcision done by Christ. And we see that it's the removal of the body of flesh. That's the circumcision. The removal of the body of flesh. So now we have to ask a question. Well, what is the body of flesh that he's referring to? And in verse 13 of Colossians 2, Paul answers the question about what is the body of flesh. He also states the problem and the solution to the body of flesh. So in verse 13, he says, even though you were dead in your transgressions, that's sin because the the result of sin is death. Remember, God told Adam, if you eat of the tree, you will die. Paul explains that in Romans chapter 5, 12 through 21, that When sin entered the human race, death entered the human race. So the entire human race is born spiritually dead. So in verse 13, it says, even though you were dead in your transgressions and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. So what's the uncircumcision of your flesh here? It's talking about being spiritually dead. So the uncircumcision of your flesh is equal to being spiritually dead. The body of sin, the body of flesh, you could you could say the body of flesh equals being spiritually dead. They're synonymous with one another. So even though you were dead in your transgressions or your sins, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. So the circumcision of Christ is being made alive with him. What Christ has done is he's, he's taken away what brought death, and now we've been made alive with Christ having been forgiven of all your transgressions, of all your sins. So the problem is the uncircumcision of the flesh or the body of flesh. The uncircumcision of the flesh is the state of being dead in our sins, spiritually dead in our sins. That's the uncircumcision of the flesh. The solution to the uncircumcision of the flesh, the solution to being dead in our sins is being made alive with Christ because he took the problem that caused spiritual death upon himself at the cross when he was nailed to the cross. All of our sins were nailed to the cross. And our sins have now been forgiven. Through faith, we receive forgiveness, and now we're made alive with Christ. So what Paul's doing in context here is he's trying to point people that, hey, I know these law pushers are pushing you to be circumcised in the male, the leader of the family, then you and your whole family have to obey the law of Moses. Paul's saying, no, the real circumcision, the real work of God is not physical circumcision. The real work of God is what Christ has done on the cross. That's the, that's the spiritual circumcision. That's the real work of God through Christ on our behalf that brings us into relationship with God. So the circumcision of Christ is he talks about baptism here. It's, it's being buried with him in baptism or identified with him in his death and in his burial. Colossians 2.12 talks about having been buried with him in baptism. Now, is this water baptism or is this 
a, a more figurative sense of baptism. Is this word baptism being used differently than water baptism? We're going to get some insight into the believer's baptism. What, what does that mean for a believer? Luke twelve fifty, Mark ten thirty five through 40 gives us deeper insight into this word baptism. Look what Jesus says in Luke twelve fifty. He says, but I have a baptism to be baptized with and how it consumes me until it is finished. Jesus is not talking about water baptism at that point. He's talking about going to the cross. He's talking about his suffering prior to going to the cross. He's talking about the nails being driven in his hands at the cross and his feet and the thorn being jabbed into his skull. Uh, he's talking about the beating he's going to take and the whips that are going to lacerate his skin and, and tear his skin apart. He's talking about being identified with suffering, being identified with death in Luke twelve fifty. But I have a baptism to be baptized with and how it consumes me until it is finished. Now, remember, when Jesus hung on the cross... And from the cross, he's experienced this baptism that he's referring to in Luke 12, 50. He's on the cross, and he utters the words, it is finished. That the baptism of Luke 12, 50 that he was going to go through when he did go through it and he hung on the cross, he said, it is finished. Now, look at Mark 10, 35 through 40, trying to identify this baptism of Colossians chapter 2, verse 12, that Paul refers to. Jesus, again, is referring to in Mark 10, 35 through 40, about this experience of death that he's about to go through and suffering. Starting in Mark 10, reading 35 through 40, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus, and they said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. In verse 36, so what do you want me to do for you, he asked. And they replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. And then verse 38, Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? He's referring to, when he says the cup, can you drink the cup? He's referring to the new covenant that he's about to, establish the new covenant by experiencing death. Remember, Jesus says, this is the cup of the new covenant. The cup here. So Jesus is identifying himself with the new covenant. He's putting the old law aside. He's putting the Old Testament aside. He's putting the old covenant aside. And he's about to establish the new covenant. So he says, can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can We can, James and John said. And Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. He's referring to their eventual death. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong for those whom they have been prepared. All right. So Paul is seeking to establish the Colossian believers in the new covenant, in the New Testament. They are identified with Christ in the new covenant. Testament of grace. Therefore, since they've been identified with Christ in this New Testament or in this new covenant, then they didn't need to adhere to the daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly observances and practices of the Old Covenant or the Old Testament. 
you know, you remember Jesus is with the disciples and it's prior to him going to the cross, Matthew 26, Luke chapter 22. And he's talking about the cup that he's going to experience. He's talking about, I'm going to establish the new covenant where there's complete forgiveness of sins. I'm going to bring in the New Testament, he says. And remember, I say this, you know, in in most all my teachings, that when I say New Testament, I'm not referring to books. I'm not referring to Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. When I say Old Testament, I'm not talking about Genesis through Malachi. And when I say New Testament, I'm not talking about Matthew through Revelation. When I say Old Testament, I'm, I'm really starting with Exodus 19, when the law was given to Moses, and really Exodus 24, when the Old Testament of relating to God through the law of Moses was enacted through the blood of animals, Exodus 24. That covenant or that testament or that way of relating to God was in place until Jesus died on the cross. Because if the New Testament was in place before Jesus died on the cross, then what is Jesus saying when he's with the disciples in the upper room saying, hey, this is my blood given for the New Testament? Jesus is saying the New Testament hasn't been established yet. This new way of relating to God hasn't been established yet. I'm going to establish it in my blood. So Paul is, is seeking to tell these believers in Colossae that you are now identified with the new covenant of grace, not the old covenant of law. Therefore, don't give power to the law pushers. These people who are trying to push the law of Moses on you, they're trying to push circumcision on you. Don't give them that power because that's not the covenant you belong to. You've been baptized or placed into an entirely new covenant. You're identified with the new covenant of of Jesus. All right. So whereas the physical circumcision of the law of Moses identified a person with the law and its practices, the spiritual circumcision of Christ identifies a believer with the new covenant of grace and its provision. So the old covenant or the old Testament was about practices The New Covenant or the New Testament is about the provision of grace. And what have we been provided with in the New Testament or in the New Covenant or in the grace of God given to us freely and fully and forever in Christ? What are these provisions where we've been provided righteousness? We've been provided complete forgiveness. We've been provided life. We've been raised with Christ. We've been seated with Christ. These are the provisions that we've been given that we didn't practice to get. Jesus went to the cross, and now he freely gives them to us. All right, so remember, we're seeking to understand what is the circumcision of Christ in comparison to the circumcision related to the law of Moses, which the people of Colossae were being uh, pressured to Uh, to have that circumcision and then to walk through the front door of Moses and beginning to obey the daily requirements, the weekly requirements, the monthly requirements, and the yearly requirements under the law of Moses. Well, we've seen that the circumcision of Christ is first being identified with the death and burial of Christ. That's the baptism. Then is also being raised with Christ. We're baptized in being raised with Christ, or we're identified in the resurrection of Christ. Look at Colossians 2, 11 through 12. Through the circumcision done by Christ, that's in the new covenant, this new covenant spiritual circumcision. Through the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, 
So we are identified with him in his death. When he died, we died. You've also have been raised with him through faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. So Paul is emphasizing faith, whereas the law of Moses emphasizes works and practices. The grace of God, the new covenant, emphasizes the work of Christ and provisions. So the law is about somebody's work and practices to get from God. The new covenant is about the work of Christ and provisions that we receive freely from God by faith. And one of the provisions that we received is we've been raised with Christ. We're no longer dead in our trespasses. We're no longer dead in in our sins. We've been raised with Christ. We have new life in Christ. And how did that happen? By practices or by disciplines or by following a yearly, monthly, or a daily, weekly, monthly, or yearly calendar. No, it's all in what Christ did for us and faith in what he did. Now, Paul goes on the right, through the circumcision of Christ or through the work of Christ, you have been made alive with Christ. You've been identified with, baptized into his life. You died with him. You've been raised with him. You're now alive with Christ. He talks about that in Colossians 2.13. And even though you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he nevertheless made you alive with Christ. The law can never make anybody alive. The law was a ministry of condemnation. The Ten Commandments is a ministry of condemnation. It was then, it is now. Second Corinthians chapter 3 makes that really clear. Romans 7, 7 through 25 makes that very clear. The Ten Commandments and the law of Moses is a ministry of death to point us to Jesus, who is now a ministry of life and a ministry of righteousness and a ministry of eternal life that we have in Christ. That's 2 Corinthians 3 all the way through 2 Corinthians 6, verse 2. So notice, we've been identified with Christ. We're we're buried with him. We're raised with him. We've been made alive with him. How are, are we made alive with Christ? Well, what caused spiritual death? our transgressions, our sins. What was nailed to the cross? All of our sins. And when we place our faith in Jesus, we receive complete forgiveness and we're made alive with Christ because all of our sins have been forgiven. If there's one sin that isn't forgiven, then I can't be alive with Christ because all it takes is one sin to cause spiritual death. So there's no ongoing forgiveness for the believer, because if there's ongoing forgiveness, then I haven't been raised with Christ. If if there's ongoing forgiveness, then I'm still buried with Christ because sin brings death. But if there's ongoing forgiveness, then I haven't been raised with Christ because Jesus paid that penalty and he died for us and he defeated death when he rose from the grave. So if there's any ongoing forgiveness, then I can't be made alive with Christ. I can't be seated with Christ in the heavenlies. We have been forgiven. That, that's the good news of the gospel. And, and beyond that, we've, we've been raised with him and we're alive with Christ. That's the circumcision done by Christ or the work of Christ for us on our behalf. Having been forgiven, the word there for forgiven is grace. If you look at the Greek word there, it's having been graced of all your transgressions. He's pointing people in this verse because they're reading this verse in their original language. They're reading it and they see the word grace 
we see the word forgiven, but really in the, in the original Greek here, it's the word graced. You, it's the same word used in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. You've been graced by God, now go grace others. And part of this being graced by God is we have been forgiven. So as this reader in Colossae is reading this letter, they're seeing this word grace. You're identified not with the law of Moses, you're identified with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, don't let those who identify themselves with the law of Moses put you under the law because you're not identified with the law of Moses. You're identified with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. You've been crucified with Christ. You've been buried with Christ. You've been raised with Christ. You've been made alive with Christ. All your sins are forgiven. That's the covenant that we identify ourselves with. But the law pushers will try to push us now, like they did then, back under some kind of legalistic law-based system that is about practices rather than about the provision of grace that God has given us in Christ. So remember, we're seeking to understand why the Colossian believers were empowered to not let anyone have spiritual power over them, to rule over them. So Paul comes to Colossians 2.16, So he's taught about we're complete in Christ in Colossians 2.10. He explains that in 11 through 14. And in Colossians 2.16, he says, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you. So Paul is teaching the Colossian believers that not only were they united, baptized with Christ in his death, identified with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection, but the old covenant of law was destroyed. So why do I want to give power to people to a covenant that no longer even uh, exists, is what Paul is telling the people. But the old covenant of law was destroyed when it was nailed to the cross. Look what Paul writes about in Colossians 2.14. He has destroyed what was against us. So what was against the entire human race? Well, the law. The Jews had the law written on stone. The Gentiles had the law written on their hearts. That's in Romans chapter 2. And the law brings death. That's why it's against us. It's not that the law is the problem. It's the law has no power to save us. The law has no power to bring life to us. All the law can do is say you're guilty of lying. You're guilty of stealing. You're guilty of coveting. You're guilty of dishonoring your parents. You're guilty of having other gods before me. All the law can do is tell us our guilt and then hand us a certificate of indebtedness. That's verse 14. You're guilty of sins. Here's your ticket. For example, when you and I, let's say we're on the road and we're driving and the speed limit is 55 and we're doing 85 and we're pulled over by the lawman because that's his job. And the lawman, the policeman, the lawman tells us what our guilt is and then he writes out a ticket. That's what Paul is referring to here. The law condemns us. The law shows us that we're guilty, and then it writes us out a ticket that the penalty for breaking the law is death. Here's your ticket. For example, if I get pulled over for speeding, the ticket may be $300 if I'm doing 85 and a 55. And so I have a debt to pay. A certificate of indebtedness has been written that is opposed to me because I've got to make payment for that now. But look what Jesus did. When the law wrote us out a ticket, 
says Jesus destroyed what was against us, a certificate of indebtedness expressed in decrees opposed to us. That's the thou shalt nots and all the other laws for the Jews. And he has taken away the certificate of indebtedness. And if you just want to put in parentheses, my ticket, my ticket for breaking the law. He has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. So here's, here's the idea. If I get a ticket for doing 85 in a 55-mile-an-hour speed zone, and I don't have the money to pay the ticket, but somebody who cares for me says, Brad, how much is the ticket? And I'd say it's $300. He says, here's the $300 to pay your ticket. And so I didn't make the payment for my fine. Somebody else made the payment for my fine. Well, just like Adam represented the entire human race when he ate of the tree in the Garden of Eden and sin entered the human race, Jesus represented the entire human race when he died on a tree. He died on the cross. And there he paid our entire sin penalty for every single person who's ever lived. Your sin payment was nailed to the cross with Jesus. So what Paul is telling the people in Colossae is don't get under the law because all the law can do is write tickets. Jesus paid your ticket in full. You're now under grace. You are forgiven. You are alive with Christ. You have been raised with Christ. Your penalty has been paid in full. That's the good news of the gospel. So what was against us was the law. The Jews had the Ten Commandments written on stone. They also had all the observances contained in the law. The Gentiles had the Ten Commandments written on our hearts. For that, see Romans 2, 12 through 16. The certificate of indebtedness was our sin debt, which has been nailed to the cross. It's finished, paid in full. That's the baptism Jesus was going to undergo to pay this sin debt in full. The decrees opposed to us, no one can obey the law. The Jews couldn't, the Gentiles couldn't. For that, see Romans 3, 19 through 20. Under the law, Jews had to observe the daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly requirements of the law of Moses. But the law was nailed to the cross with Jesus, Ephesians chapter 2. Yet all of these requirements under the old covenant of law pointed to Jesus and the new covenant. They weren't the reality. They just pointed to to the reality of Christ. We're going to look at that next week. The law had now been nailed to the cross. The law had been abolished. You can read more about that again in, starting in Ephesians 2.15. So Paul is telling the Colossian believers that they are not to identify with the law of Moses and the old covenant through physical circumcision, since they had already been identified with Jesus and the new covenant of grace through the spiritual circumcision of Christ. And he explained what that was in the verses that we just read. Paul goes on to say that when the law was nailed to the cross, the rulers and authorities were disarmed and triumphed over. Verse 15, when Jesus nailed to the cross our ticket with with himself, or when our sin ticket was nailed to the cross with Jesus, and he rose from the grave, it says here in verse 15 of Colossians 2 that, Disarming the rulers and authorities, he has made a public disgrace of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The cross triumphed over law. 
is what he's saying here. The, the cross defeated the law because the law was nailed to the cross and Jesus rose from the grave. The question is this, who are these rulers and authorities? Some people say it's talking about spiritual rulers and authorities in the air. It could be. But I really try to stay in context whenever I read Scripture. What would the context lead us to believe about who these rulers and authorities are? And I think to to understand that, we've got to keep reading and go into verses 16 and 17 to see if we can gain some insight into these rulers and authorities. Who are these rulers and authorities? Let's read verse 15 and go right into verse 16. Disarming the rulers and authorities, he has made a public disgrace of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, to a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. Verse 17, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality is, however, found in Christ. So verse 16 says, therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. The do not let anyone judge you or rule over you, to me, refers back to the rulers and authorities. It's those who are seeking to rule over the people by pushing them away from grace and back to the law of Moses. Because that's the entire context. Paul's talking about circumcision, that, hey, they're trying to push you to be circumcised, these rulers and authorities. They're trying to push you to the daily requirement of the law of Moses, to the weekly requirements of the law of Moses, to the monthly requirements of the law of Moses, and to the yearly requirements of the law of Moses. They're trying to exert authority over you. They're trying to control you by trying to push you away from grace back to the law. It's the exact thing that had already happened in the churches of Galatia. And now what had happened in the churches of Galatia was about to happen in the church of Colossae, which is why Epaphras traveled such a far distance to present the situation to Paul so that Paul could respond to it by writing a letter back to the people in Colossae. Because Paul had already been through this with the Galatian churches. Epaphras had never been through it. This was his first encounter with these rulers and authorities trying to exert the law over the people who had come to the gospel of grace. That's in Colossians 1, 3 through 8. They had learned about the gospel of grace. And now they're being pushed back to the law of Moses by these rulers and authorities of the law. And so Paul's response to that is you're not identified with the Old Testament anymore. You're not identified with the Old Covenant anymore. You're not identified with the law of Moses anymore. You're not identified with its practices anymore. You're now identified with the cross of Jesus. You're identified with the resurrection of Jesus. You're identified with the new covenant. You're identified now with grace. And once we know our identity, once we know that we've been identified with the new covenant of grace, then, therefore, do not let 
anyone judge you by and fill in the blank. For them, it was by what you eat and drink with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. For us these days, that's really not the issues, but fill in the blank with the expectation, with the experience. Don't let anyone judge you or have power over you telling you, you need to do this every day to be close to God. You need to do this weekly. You need to do this monthly. You need to do this yearly. Don't give those people that kind of power over you. You're not identified with a works-based religious system full of practices. You're identified with the work of Jesus on the cross full of provisions. It's a major difference. And the provisions of the cross are complete forgiveness and complete righteousness. We've been justified. We're at peace with God. We're under no condemnation. The provisions of grace, which are received by faith in Jesus. So don't let anyone, Paul would tell us if he was writing us a letter, judge you, meaning don't let anyone rule over you. Don't let anyone have that power over you when your identity is in the work of Christ. That's what rules over us, the work of Christ. That's the power that's operating in our hearts and in our lives, the work of Christ. And we'll look more into this verse a little deeper in our next study. So the rulers and authorities were those who were judging them, condemning them, criticizing them, slandering them, seeking to rule them and have power over them in the keeping of the law of Moses or the old covenant, the old Testament. The rulers and authorities were those who were pressuring them to Leave the gospel of grace, the finished work of Christ on the cross, to leave the new covenant and then to return to the law of Moses. Again, exactly what was going on in Galatia or what had already happened in the Galatia. So they were pushing the law of Moses on the believers. However, what Paul's writing to, to them to let them know is, is this law they're trying to push on you has been destroyed. This law has been abolished. This law is now obsolete. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13. It's, it's no longer in existence. So not only did the cross destroy the law, but it disarmed the law rulers and authorities. They've been disarmed. So don't arm those who have been disarmed. If the grace of the Lord Jesus has disarmed these law pushers, don't rearm them by giving them power over you with whatever law system they're pushing on you and, and on me. These authorities and rulers still exist today. They existed in the book of Colossians. They still exist today. Those who want to have authority over believers and rule over them and control them do so by telling them Jesus is not enough. They say believers aren't complete in Christ. The grace of Jesus is not enough. Believers must meet daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly expectations, or they're not measuring up. Believers must have certain spiritual experiences, or they're missing out. They're made to feel like that if they do not meet the expectations and have the experiences, then they can't be clean before God, they can't be close to God, they can't grow in their relationship with God. Now, Paul provides great insight for the Colossian believers and for us into these spiritual authorities and rulers when he says to them in Colossians 2.15 that they have been disarmed by the cross of Jesus. Their rule book was nailed to the cross. 
So they have no power to rule over us. They have no authority over anyone unless we give them that authority, unless we give them that power. And Paul also gives great advice to the Colossian believers and to us about how to relate to these spiritual authorities and rulers who are pushing the experiences on us, who are pushing the expectations on us. He gives some really great advice here in Colossians 2.16, and he says, Do not let them judge you. Do not let them rule over you. Do not let them have authority and power over you. We have the power. The gospel of grace gives you and me power to not give power to the law pushers. We're free in Christ. Paul talks about in Galatians 5.1. Christ set you free. He's the one who was baptized into the new covenant. He's the one who was baptized into the New Testament. He's the one who established this new way of relating to God. So, do not give power to anyone. You, you, you and I can stand up very gracefully and very kindly to the law pushers. Um, do not give these law pushers power over you by telling you that you must meet certain expectations and have certain experiences. You are complete in Christ. You are, identi- you are identified or baptized with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. You are identified or baptized in the new covenant. You're identified with this new covenant of grace where God's not counting any of your sins against you, where God knows us from the least to the greatest, this personal love relationship, no expectations to meet, no experiences to have. It's all been done for us in Jesus. We've been identified with the new covenant. All of our sins are forgiven. We're alive with Christ. Christ lives in us We're eternally forgiven by God. Our sin record has been eternally cleared when it was nailed to the cross. We're in eternal fellowship with God. We're eternally clean before God. We're eternally close to God in this new covenant. We do not have to measure up to the spiritual ruler's expectations. You're not missing out on anything if you don't have their experiences. You're complete in Christ. You're identified with Christ. You're identified with the new covenant. Therefore, do not give power to the law pushers seeking to rule over you. Hey, I want to thank you for listening to this teaching today. If you enjoy these teachings, you may also enjoy the resources on my website, gracereach.org, and you may also enjoy my books, which are available on Amazon. I also have a YouTube channel and a Facebook page, and you can find the links to all my resources and the details of this podcast teaching. If you'd like to support my ministry in reaching more and more people with the good news of God's grace and teaching more and more people about His grace, click the Donate button on the Grace Reach website, again, which is gracereach.org. Hey, thank you guys so much for listening to this teaching today. I pray that through these teachings, you are understanding the Bible more fully and you're understanding God's grace more clearly. Have a great day.